Okay. My lapel mic is a little different than my handheld mic, so I'm a little, little weird about that. Um, as Pastor was talking, something hit my mind. And uh, I got my uh, crying towel ready because I get a little weepy about things like this. But I want to just acknowledge a person that uh, I might say is my hero. And heroes aren't to be, who your hero is isn't to be taken very lightly. They have to meet some criteria. They have to do certain things. And this person, and I've known my whole life, I can, uh, I can do so many things that he can't do. Countless things. I can do so many things better than he can do. Countless things. But there are some real important things. The most important things. That he's just better than me at. As hard as I try. He's the star of the room whenever he walks in. He loves freely. He forgives quickly. There isn't an ounce of prejudice in his body, never has been. And he just wants to be your friend. If I could aspire to do things that would round myself out as a Christian man. It would be those things. Those are things that I try and we all fall short of these things a lot. I apologize. Not really. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to be up in front of you about 30, 35 minutes maybe. I'll be crying for about 20 of that. I apologize for that. My uh, the person I aspire to be like and I might call him a hero he has Down syndrome And I know in my life, I've asked myself and I've asked God, why would you do that to him? Well, I'm here to tell you, God didn't do that to him. But God sure is using it. Amen? So I want to give an acknowledgement. To my movie buddy, probably my best friend, and my hero. And his name is Mikey.
So if you ever come across anybody that has a, uh, an affliction like that, a handicap like that, before you feel sorry for them, I want you to think about what I just said. Because in the heart of those people, there is so much love. And I will tell you, if you ever get a chance to be a volunteer for a program that works with people like that, maybe it's the Special Olympics, maybe it's something else, you have the time, I suggest you pursue that because the, the payment is so much more than money. And the Special Olympics are pretty awesome. I don't know why I'm talking about that right now. It just hit my mind. But the, the athletics is actually pretty darn good. It's pretty fun to watch. And, uh, but just the love, the teamwork. I know you've seen commercials where People in the race in the Special Olympics, they fall, and people come back and pick them up and stuff like that, and you think that's just for the TV. No, that happens. So if you want to see true love, real love in action, it's there. So I wanted to talk about that first. I wasn't intending on talking about that today, but it just came to my mind that I needed to do that today. So... So what we're about to celebrate today, this upcoming season, is the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This time offers a time of joy and peace and love at a level we may not always experience throughout the rest of the year. That's sad too, isn't it? The special level of love and affection that we show one another during this time, we don't always do it. I'm including myself in on that. We don't always do it, but if God were to tell us personally, he would say do it every day because God lives for us every day. He works for us every day. Jesus died for us so we could have every day in his glory. Amen? So don't waste a day. This time of year can also be one of sadness, loneliness, and despair. The pastor just talked about that. Some people are hurting. The Beicher family is up north worrying about their mother right now in this season of joy and peace and love. I know just this past week, a gentleman I consider a good friend passed away from heart failure. So during the upcoming days to the Christmas holiday, I have to go to a funeral for a man that I loved. It's not my idea of a Merry Christmas. I also learned last week that a, a lady, now this is, I'm going to reflect back on what I said before about how we get away from the true love of God. There is a lady that was in my wedding party. She was a very good friend. And I found out just last week that she passed away in October. She lives in Emmett, about 15 miles away from me. And it took until now to find out that my good friend died in October. So on this time of peace and love and joy, I'm struggling with stuff. 
and I don't do this, but I have done this in the past, I, it would cause me to question God, why are you doing this at this time? Why are you allowing this at this time? But we all know that for those who love him, God is putting it all together for our good. So we don't know why things happen. We don't know why things are allowed and why things are not allowed. Why who's, this person is saved and that person is not. We don't know. We have to just trust in God that his way is the wise way. His way is the righteous thing. And his way is for our good eventually. As bad as it may hurt. I have more fond memories of this season than I can count. But I've also experienced some tragic times. What I know is through the good times and the bad, God is with me. He covers me. He sustains me. And it took some work to come to that realization. See, when I was a younger man, I had a uh, I have to do it all mentality. And I could do it all mentality. And when you have that mentality, when it's deeply rooted in your soul, you tend to question why things that go out of your control happen. Right? I came to realize that to be able to allow God to protect me, to use me, if I wanted to draw nearer to him, if I wanted my prayer life with him to really bear fruit, so I would pray. But I would pray with my idea I know we say we pray with expectations, and we should. But I would pray with expectations of what I thought was appropriate and what I thought was the best. What do I know? Well, in my younger days, when I thought I was everything in life, I thought I knew everything. Little did I know how little did I know. <laughs> Amen? I need to learn how to let some things go. That's what I'd like to talk about today. How to let go and let God have his way, as well as how to know what to let go of that may be holding you back. Right? So to truly let God have his way in your life, you have to be able to allow him to unburden you. You have to be able to let go of the things that weigh you down. So what does God say about letting things go? When things are good, we feel like we have it all under control. I just talked about that. Oftentimes, it's not until we lose control that we realize who's in control. Whether or not you found yourself in this situation spiraling out of control or knowing when to give it to God is vital. Because there are some things we need to handle on our own, you know. God gives us the capability and the wisdom and the strength and the courage to tackle things, to climb mountains. He says, let that mountain be moved, I'll move it for you, right? David went out, he slowed Goliath with the help of God. But he went out and he did it, 
He didn't just sit behind a rock and wait for God to come down and do it, right? So God gives us the ability to fight for ourselves, but when can we let it go and let God, right? So what does giving it to God mean? Here's a proverb that talks about that. Proverbs 16 and 9 says, In their hearts, human plan, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. So we all have our goals in life. We've got a, I wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to embarrass a couple young men today that are sitting in the back that I just heard some good news about. You got, you got Brandon and Zach here. They uh, grew up in our youth ministry and uh, had a lot of good times with them. And they're young men now, shaving and all that stuff. I'm proud to say his mom just told me that Brandon is going to be valedictorian of his high school. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a, couple, he's a couple years behind Brandon, but younger brother Zach, I've seen him. He's a star football player on the football team, and he was a homecoming king, and he is uh, really, really pressing forward in a great way. So give him some praise as well. Amen. So what I would tell you, young men, as you go off to do great things, and I really believe you will, plan your course, but let the Lord establish your steps. Amen? That's God's word. That's not mine. Some might think it's giving up your dreams, your aspirations and comfort. That's not it. Giving it to God means letting go of your ego, and opening up your spirit to be led by God and trusting him where he wants you to go. That's what letting it go and letting God means. I would like to take a, a, just a moment to share with you a couple of stories from my life where giving it to God was not only my best option, but I believe it was the only option. Now, um, you've heard me, anyone that's heard me speak before has heard my testimony, and I'll try to keep this very short. But there was a time back in my I-can-do-it-all phase where on Christmas Eve, I got a phone call saying that my mother-in-law's house had burnt down, and my son, who lived there with him, was on his way to Hurley Hospital with multiple burns and other things. I was told that he died out on the front yard, but they brought him back. Okay? So Christmas Eve night, Christmas Day morning, we hustled, we hurried out to Hurley Hospital, and I had to watch my son sitting underneath a sheet trying not to die. I had to watch that. My wife had to watch that. So we needed a hyperbaric chamber, so the hyperbaric chamber that he could have, the only one that was capable of running because of the Christmas holiday, was in Toledo, Ohio, in a big hospital down there. So they had to ambulance him down to Toledo, Ohio. 
So again, we got our stuff together. We hustled up. We sped like the wind down to Toledo. And he was in their burn unit getting ready to get taken care of with the hyperbaric chamber and things like that. And uh, for a man who thought he could slay any dragon, could climb any mountain, could do anything. I didn't need anything from you or anybody else. I had it. What a lie that was. For a guy who really thought that about himself, I was sitting in that room and the, the nurses were explaining to us that we needed to prepare for the worst. I can't imagine, I, I, I can imagine, you can imagine how my wife reacted to that. So here we are, watching my son under a sheet, tubes coming out of his body. My wife losing her mind. And for the very first time in my life, I spoke up to God and I said, Whatever your will be. Just take away their pain. I was willing to let go of him to stop that pain. And I was willing to let go of everything I thought I knew about myself to allow God to work. And then the good news is, is in that moment, God showed up. He showed up. He did his work. And about a week later, give or take, him and I were walking out of there. And we brought him home. I wish I could, I, every time I tell that story, I wish I could give you a picture of my granddaughter to put up there because she's the fruit. Amen. And she's beautiful. Haven't gotten her here yet, but she's still beautiful. We're working on it. So I was willing to let go of everything I knew to allow God to stop that pain. So that I believe that was really the beginning of my strip down to come from a guy who thought he had it to a guy who knew he needed the Lord. Yeah. It took a while for me to really cement myself in that. But that's where it started. Uh, the next story I want to tell is uh, this was about, this was some years later. I'm not very good with dates. Uh, I'm going to say it was approximately nine, ten years ago. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but uh, it was around Christmas Day. Uh, my father had experienced a, a series of strokes throughout his life, and he had had a stroke and recovered. He had a stroke and recovered, and he was in um, the nursing facility rehabbing from his uh, latest stroke. And uh, we were there Christmas Day. We brought presents. We brought food and stuff like that. And he was in and out, you know, 
but uh, we had a Christmas with him up there in that nursing facility. So we all went home. And then later on that night, I get a call telling me that he had to be rushed to the ICU or the emergency room. And so I spent another Christmas Eve morning, Christmas Day morning, sitting in the hospital trying not to lose a loved one. And trust me, the nurses, when we were with my son, the nurses would go back and forth. They were having their holiday party, and we were sitting there in a chair, crying, freaking out. And they would all come by, and they would say Merry Christmas to us. Well... When you're sitting there like that on Christmas Eve in the ICU at Hurley Hospital in the burn unit, it's not a Merry Christmas. So I remember, I know that they were really in their hearts really just trying to spread some joy. I believe that now. But in my mind, I was like, who are you to tell me Merry Christmas? Do you not know what I'm going through right now? It became about me because it was about me, right? But I had some growing to do. So fast forward, we're back to my father's situation, and uh, he was sitting in the ICU, and, and we were waiting, and we were waiting, and waiting, and uh, all of a sudden, the machinery just kind of flipped out on us, and we didn't know what was going on. And it turned out that uh, uh, what, you, what you may not know about strokes is if you have a stroke, it's almost like a little misfiring in the brain, and that little part in the brain that it affected, that part of the brain is not really very good anymore. So you have almost like a dead spot in your brain almost. You know, it's not always like that, but commonly it's like that. So he had some spots in his brain that he was recovering from, trying to get his best life, and then he all of a sudden, the left side of his brain, the whole side just went poof. So here we are. So he sat there in the uh, emergency room, in the uh, ICU, and when you go through something like that, counselors come and they talk to you and they talk about uh, they, uh, you know, dealing with it and what are you going to do next and uh, what can we do for you. And they give you these, they gave us this pamphlet that said, uh, it's not giving up, it's letting go. They gave us this pamphlet to read. And it was pretty clinical, and they tried to uh, really be as soft as they could about it, but the, uh, the gist of it was is you're going to have to figure out how to let this go. And the decision we had to make was do we allow him to stay in the ICU hooked up to machines where it was pretty, we were pretty positive he was not going to be any more than a vegetable for the rest of his life. Or do we take him to um, hospice and uh, just let God have it? And I know my mom was struggling with that decision. It was her burden to make. It wasn't mine. I didn't have the legal authority to say anything. So where we came to is we need to, we need to let that go. We need to allow God to have his will, even if that meant that he didn't make it. So that's what we did. We, we gave it to God. We let it go. And he didn't make it. But I believe God had his way. I believe God took care of us in that time, and he continues to take care of us today. 
Amen? Yeah. So those are, my, uh, those are my two stories that I wanted to talk about that was some real pivotal moments in my life where I had to really struggle with letting something go. So what are these things that we are to let go? If I could narrow it down to three things, I think it would be letting go of old understandings, letting go of past hurts, and finally letting go of old lifestyles. So I want to talk about first, I want to talk about letting go of the old old understandings, and I want to touch on the scripture where Jesus warned us that it is unwise to put old new wine in old wineskins. See, in this time of this scripture, uh, Jesus and his disciples were on the scene, and um, the Pharisees and the disciples of John were wondering, they were fasting, and the disciples of Jesus, they were not. So, they had a question, why are these people not fasting like we are? They were following the Jewish tradition, and the disciples and Jesus, they were not. So especially for the Pharisees, who grew up embedded in the law, they were the authorities on the law. They found this group of hooligans, if you will, showing up, not following the law. So the disciples of John asked Jesus, why do you not fast the way we fast? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. We'll touch on what he was talking about there in a moment. So he referred to the wedding guests celebrating the presence of the groom. He also followed up with a couple other illustrations. I know you've heard them before, but they fit in this situation. The illustration says that no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Christ notes that nobody who was patching a torn garment would ever use a piece of unshrunk cloth. Natural fibers tend to shrink over time, especially after repeated washing and drying. Stitching brand new fibers over a hole in an older cloth, this is important, will eventually make the hole worse, and the patch will shrink and pull away from the hole. So I want you to think about that. You have like a garment, you have like a pair of pants, let's say, and it's an old pair of pants. And in this case, they were using animal skins, not like the denim and the fiber, you know, polyester that we use today. But they had the old pants, and they put the new patch over it. Now the, now the animal skins, when they're new, eventually, through wash and wear, they will shrink. So if you put like a patch that is like small over something this big and eventually it shrinks away and it falls off or tears off the, uh, the garment. Does that make sense? Kind of? Okay. We'll talk about the significance in a moment. So neither do people put new wine into old wineskins. If they do, 
the skins will burst, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. This is, why, this is why wine needed to be preserved in new wineskins. As the wine expanded, the new wineskins would stretch to accommodate it. Now, if you have the old wineskin, it's already stretched to its capacity. So if it stretches to, like, a, let's say, a gallon's capacity, and you try putting a gallon of new wine in there, it will ferment, and it will stretch out, and it will become more than a gallon, and it will burst the wineskin. So it was, they knew that if you had new wine, it would expand, so you had to put it in a new wineskin so the new wineskin could expand with it. Otherwise, otherwise, it would burst open and you'd lose your wine. Make sense? In Jesus' day, as I just spoke, they used animal skins like goat skin for storing liquid. Fermented drinks like wine expanded. And since an old wine skin would already be stretched to its limit, the new wine would tear the seams. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the significance of these stories. Whether his questioners understood it or not in the moment, Jesus is insisting that he's introducing something new. Judaism, especially as practiced by the Pharisees, is the old cloth. As the Messiah and the Son of God, Jesus had not come to fit into the old way of doing things. Under the law, he had come to fulfill the new law. So Judaism was the pants with the tear in it. Jesus was the patch. Right? By offering the grace of God, this grace is available to all who come to the Father through faith in, Jesus, in Christ's death for their sins on the cross. And even Jesus' old disciples did not yet fully understand. Nevertheless, the arrival of the King, the Messiah on earth, meant that the kingdom was near. Life in the kingdom would not be the same as it had been before the King had arrived, even in its religious practices and observations. Now we give, uh, a lot of times in the Bible, we give the Pharisees... Uh, um, guff, if you will, for how they stepped up against Jesus. But let's talk about that for a second. Let's give them some slack just for one second. The Pharisees, as we know, they were trained to be authorities of the law. And the law was the law that was passed on from generation to generation. And they came upon this world, they were born, they were taught of the law, they were trained in the law, and they were asked to teach the law and know the law. That was their job, was to sit there and do that, right? So after all that, and they didn't know, they, they couldn't see God. This was, the, this was the story of, they believed it because of the generations before who had taught them and because of the, uh, the stories that were told. This was the people that said the God who split the sea and allowed our, allowed our people to escape the Egyptians, that God wrote this law. So the, the God who had told Noah to build the ark and save man from the flood, 
He's the one who wrote this word. So we believe him. We trust in him. Even though we can't see him physically, he's not down here sitting with us. We believe with all our heart and soul that the law that we have been taught is the law brought from God. That's how the Pharisees felt. Then here comes Jesus and the gang coming up and saying, now we've got to do something new. How would you react? You know, how would you react? I mean, I, I'm trained in my job. I know exactly what to do. And if uh, somebody were to step up into my place and say, hey, you know all that stuff that you spent 20 years learning? None of that's right. How seriously would you take that guy? Right. You know? And again, they have God himself still up in heaven. But he brought his son, and it was through the miracles, and it was through the teachings, and it was through the sacrifice that Jesus did cement himself as the authoritative son of God who brought the new law. So the Pharisees found it hard to let it go. But Jesus was making a very specific point to John the Baptist that he was here to do something completely new. If John or anyone else tried to make sense of it through the lens of the old expectations and regulations, they'd miss the amazing thing that was happening. Through Jesus, God was redeeming the world to himself. And if people expected this to look familiar to what God had done before, they wouldn't understand. See, let's talk about that. We all know God created the world, God created man, God gave him the God gave man the authority to walk over the earth and to do things, and he gave him choice to turn away from the law of God. And what we do? We chose to turn away from the law of God. So the old way, we, we proved that we couldn't really do the old way the way he wanted to do. So God brought Jesus to the world to redeem the world to God. Jesus came and brought the new law, and he was the sacrifice, so that the new law could be covered. So it couldn't be the old way, because the old way already was failing. So Jesus had to bring the new law because mankind had sinned. Even in their sinful nature, the Pharisees were so rooted in their old law, they found it difficult, even impossible, to let go of their old understanding and let Jesus bring the new law to life. Amen? All right. Uh, another thing we may need to let go of in order for God to take the wheel in our life is past hurts. We are still subject to pain in all its form. Past hurt can hold us back when it comes to forgiveness. How we pray, what we pray about, can be hindered by past hurt. If you pray to God expecting him to be just another one to disappoint you, your prayers will probably be affected by that. How many times have you done that? I know I've done it. Pray to God, but in your back of your corner of your mind that you like, yeah, he's probably just going to let me down. So you have to let that go. It kind of lines up with trusting. You know, you have to let that go so you can fully trust God to work in your life, even when you think it's impossible. 
whether I'm facing a potential loss of somebody through illness or otherwise, I pray for miracles and healings, but I mostly pray for God's will to be done. And even Jesus in the garden submitted to the Father, and Jesus prayed, God, if this cup could pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, your will be done. So you think about that. Jesus, he's in the form of man, but he knows he's the Son of God. He knows. He knows what's about to happen to him. <laughs> he knows what's about to happen to him. But uh, he, uh, I'm distracted now. Uh, but even he was afraid. Even he asked God, if this cup could just pass for me, if there's any other way that I can, can I do something? You know, can I write a check? Can I do something? Do I not have to go through this? But then he said, nevertheless, your will be done. Jesus took what he felt was going to be pain and hurt and anguish, both for him and for the people who loved him that were going to be there to watch that situation. He took it all and he let it go, and he allowed God's will to be done. As terrible as it was. It's hard to let go and submit when you are burdened by so much pain. And on that, I want to tell a little story about this uh, lady I know very well. Uh, she is, uh, she's a believer in God. She has a heart for God, but she won't go to church for anything. We've tried to get her to go. We've tried to get her to pursue it. Uh, but she even almost defiantly and angrily bucks up against it. She won't go. We've given her all the biblical um, word and all of the, uh, what we think makes sense about why you should consider going to church. But she won't do it. And, I, and she... Um, in her younger time, she was a victim of uh, abuse, multiple forms of abuse. That's where I'll go with that. And uh, if you are a victim of those things, it affects your view of yourself, your self-esteem. It affects your self-worth, um, that sort of thing. And uh, she uh, went to church with her mother, and she felt judged by the people at that church. Because she felt somebody in that church was uh, basically letting her know that she was probably the reason why things happened to her. So she was hurt very deeply by a group of people in a church like this. So you and I know that church is great, but there are people who aren't great at it. Right? We would, never, we would never treat my friend like this. But she went through it. So she doesn't want to go to church. She won't go to church. And if, I, and if she could just let that go, and that's not, from, you know, that's not for me to judge on, but if she could just let that go, I believe she would find a church experience that could really change her life. But I will say I'm happy to say that I believe she is a woman of God. She was saved, uh, she does have a relationship with God, and she just has a lot of hurts that she's still working through. So pray for her. 
I'm not going to mention her name because we record these things. Unspoken prayer for that young lady. Amen? Amen. The next thing I want to talk about is a uh, letting go of a duplicitous lifestyle or a past lifestyle. A duplicitous mind or heart can be another place where we fail to go to let go and let God have his way in our lives. Duplicitousness, I don't know if that's a word, but it is today, is used to describe someone who is intentionally misleads people, especially by saying different things to different people or acting in different ways at different times. We unfortunately see this in all areas of our lives, from political figures to law enforcement, religious leaders and bosses, husbands, wives, and friends. People claiming to believe or feel a certain way, but their actions contradict. Now here is where I did struggle with this definition a little bit, but I think I, I, think I have a better understanding of it now. I believe that setting standards for yourself but struggling to live up to them is not duplicity. Okay? Now, duplicity is me intentionally trying to look like this guy when I'm really this guy. Trying to fool you. So that being said, we can come up here and we can say God knows that pornography is not good, but we can still struggle with it. Right? Same with drugs or alcohol or anything, gambling. We can say that these things could hinder our lives and we could speak out against them, but we could still struggle with them. That's not duplicitous. That's just people struggling. It's like people do. But to sit here and to say, this is wrong, 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 when I know that I'm going to go and enjoy doing that very same thing as soon as I get out of here. That's duplicitous. Make sense? Amen. Amen. A perfect example of a duplicitous person was Judas. He said and he did all the right things in the presence of Jesus, only to betray him behind his back. He sat there with the twelve, he ate the dinner, he kissed the hand, he did all that, all the while knowing that the soldiers were going to come get him. And it was his fault for just a few pieces of silver. So I think, I, in the Bible, I believe that was the best example of a duplicitous person. Uh, God will hear you if you are honest with him about your struggles, but how can you expect to submit to God if you cannot even be honest with him? So if you do have that struggle let's say, with drugs. And you're out there purposely speaking out against this, but purposely living that lifestyle. And you pray about that. Are you being honest? But if you're struggling with it, be honest with God about it. And I know we have people in this church right now that will tell you that if you are honest with your struggles with God, He will listen and He will deliver you from that. 
okay? He will deliver you from that. You don't have to sit in that. So that's what I had about a duplicitous lifestyle. So I'm going to kind of, the end of my uh, portion here is going to be the good word, the good news. God has given us plenty of passages to reassure us that if we just let go and let God, he will not disappoint us. So what's the biggest reason we refuse to let go? We refuse to let go because we don't trust the people we are letting go to, even if it is God. Amen. I can't let it go because if I do, you will disappoint me. But God's not that way. And I've, I've collected a bunch of uh, really good passages here that uh, will reassure and give you hope that if you just let go and let God, he will not disappoint you. In Romans 12, 19, it says, I am a just God. One day I will right all the wrongs. Trust that vengeance is mine. Notice he didn't say, I will right just the wrongs that are not your fault, or just the wrongs for your neighbor but not you, or just the wrongs for the people that go to full potential ministry. He didn't say that. He said, trust that I am a just God, and one day I will right all the wrongs. So, hopefully we're on the right side of that. I believe we are. In Hebrews 13, 14, it says, I am hope. Trust me when you have been disappointed and have lost your hope. Hope in me does not disappoint. Others will let you down. Things of this world will let you down. And for the record, this world is supposed to disappoint you in order to remind you that you were made for another world. That was pretty cool. I like that one. Let's read that one again. And for the record, this world is supposed to disappoint you in order to remind you that you were made for another world. I could stop right there, but I won't. It says, I am the living word. I have put my words in your mouth. I cover you with the shadow of my hand. Trust that I will give you the words to say when the time comes. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand for what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So if you do trust in, the God, in God, he will give you the things to do and the words to say in the times that matter. Amen? Jeremiah 29 and 11, it says, I am your redeemer. Trust that I have your best interests at heart. That was what I struggled with when I was that guy who thought he could do it all. Who really has my best interests at heart? And now I know that's a large group of people. But at the time, I struggled with that. 
So trust that I have your best interests at heart, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So if you even, because really, we just talked about it, this world is supposed to disappoint you, right? So if people give you pause to wonder who has my best interest at heart, always know that God does. Amen? Amen. I am unchanging amid all the change in your life. Trust that I am using the changes at and around you to transform you into my likeness. So I am unchanging. When we talked about, we've talked about this a few times. If we had to say what the DNA of God was, what would we say it is? Love, right? So he is unchanging. When your life is great, God loves. When your life is terrible, God loves. When you're struggling and you just don't know if you can get out of bed today, God loves. When you're having the big victory, God loves. He is unchanging. That doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle. But just know that through the struggle, God loves. I am your strength. Trust that my grace is sufficient for you. We sing a song about that, right? Your grace is enough. In your weakness, my strength will be perfected. He's making a claim there. When you need me the worst, I'll be at my best. That's encouraging. I am close to the brokenhearted. I am the great physician, the healer. I'm your comforter. Trust me when your heart is broken. I save those who are crushed in spirit. And that's Psalms 34, 18. And last but not least, trust me. Put your confidence in me. Being confident of this, that I began a good work in you, and I will carry it to completion. That's important. You got to know that when you were born, God had great things in store. And he began the good work in you, and he will carry it on to completion. If you just let it go and let it be God, he will take that greatness that he put in you, and he will flower it, and he will nurture it, and he will water that plant. Amen? You see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I am faithful. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe we should take some time to reflect upon and focus on God instead of holding on to things of the past that are not life-giving. Trust that He lives in the present. He has a purpose for our past, and He holds our future in His hands. And I'll leave you with this. Life can be hard. The rain will fall on the just as well as the unjust. But if you just let go and let God, you'll be amazed at what he can do. Thank you for your time. Thank you.